And 1 Kings chapter 19, verses from 9 to 14. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Buenos dias. Blessing and privilege to be here with you all uh, this morning. My name is Marcia Caroli, uh, one of the pastors here at Calvary, and um, today we continue with our sermon series about joy, and um, we'll be um, addressing joy from a different perspective, speaking about gratitude as the pathway to access joy today. I don't know about you, but I've been extremely blessed and challenged through this uh, uh, series, and I hope it's also blessing you and giving you new insights about joy, the joy that can only be found in Jesus. And um, before um, I start as part of my introduction, I, I would like to share some wisdom from the East. Um, and um, there was this uh, man uh, in the Middle East who was forced to move back to a small village. Um, he lost everything he had. He owned businesses and uh, had money and homes and everything that um, he desired, and he lost everything from one day to another. So he's forced to move back to the village that he came from with a family of nine. He inherited this small home with a just a living room, small living room, a kitchen, and a bathroom. And... Uh, the living room became their bedroom and the multi-purpose room, and uh, it was a very tiny space. After a long year of wrestling, seeing, uh, thinking about all the dreams and everything he had before to that moment, how all that went away, he got very depressed and stressed and burned out. So he decides to go to see the leader of his village, uh, known as the Sheikh. 
So the sheikh is a, a figure, that um, person in the village, older guy with lots of wisdom. Normally they have a long white beard and uh, they're very sweet and tender and that's where people go for advice or it's like a therapy session that they go through. Um, so he goes into um, see the, the sheikh. So he walks in, the sheikh walks to him and says, what are you doing here, my son? He says, sheikh, I, I'm, I just don't want to continue living. I'm, I'm just exhausted, tired. I lost everything. It's been a year. Uh, and I just cannot make peace with the reality I'm in. Uh, it's a stress in my house. We're a big family. We're sleeping, in, we're li- sleeping in this tiny room, and we don't have, yeah, more space. And we're just tired. There's nothing I can do. I've been trying to go back, to have my business back, but I can't. So the sheikh is just listening to him with a lot of love and wisdom, and he says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go to the market and buy a goat. What? Yeah, just go to the market and buy a goat. And by the way, here's the money. I'll give you money. I know you're in a rough season, so I'll give you the money. Buy a goat. So in the Middle East, you know, you just don't respect seniors. You do whatever they tell you to do. So he goes to the market, buys a goat, brings him home, and... After a week, he returns to see the sheikh. So the sheikh is sitting in his room drinking tea. He walked in. This guy looked terrible. Um, his uh, robes were tear apart, and uh, he had crazy hair, and he was tired and exhausted. He was limping when he walked in. And the sheikh asked this guy and says, how do you do, my son? How are you doing? And the guy goes like, oh, I hate my life. It's terrible. It's terrible. The goat is very territorial, so we sleep in this one corner in the room. The goat has been eating everything and just destroying everything in our house. And this morning I woke up and I have the goat's belly on my face and it smelled terribly. It's bad. So the sheikh just looked at him with a lot of love and he says, okay, this is what I want you to do now. Go back to the market, sell the goat, keep the money, come back and see me the following week. So the guy does what the sheikh, you know, asked him to do. Goes to the market, sells the goat goes home, come back a week after. The following week, he walked into the room, and this guy is shining, you know, all clean. His hair is nicely done. And the sheikh asked him, so tell me, my son, how are you doing? Oh, I love my life. We have a lot of space in the house. I love my wife, my kids. It's amazing. This is the best time of my life ever. So how would it be for us to do a social experiment here? where at the end of the service, we give you a goat to take home, right? <laughs> it will be proportional to the number of your uh, family members. We ask you to move into a small room. I will be generous with Moody students. I think they have enough stuff going on, so they're free to take that goat. And I know, but that's kind of like the wisdom, right? Like the story that I just shared with you, um, there are times when we find ourselves struggling between reality and expectation. Dreaming about a life we want, we had and ignoring where we are, what we have, what we already have been given. And we need a reminder just to bring us back to reality. We need that goat sometimes. In most cases, life doesn't look like we envision, or sometimes it just turns the opposite of what we wanted. And you know what? It becomes really hard to live up to certain expectations, especially when we land into those dry seasons in our life. As Christians, we forget that those seasons are also part of God's plan and a gift of grace to us. But if we're very honest, those are the gifts that are really hard to open. Actually, we don't want to open. We have expectations about us. There are things that we expect from other people too. Our spouses, children, friends, co-workers, 
we also have expectations about God. And there is nothing wrong with having expectations. But when the expectations are not met, when what we receive doesn't look like the picture in the catalog, feelings of dissatisfaction start to find a way into our hearts, taking our attention from the Lord. Eventually, dissatisfaction becomes part of us, and those closest to us become victims of our undoing, including God. Because at the core of our dissatisfaction, there is a lack of gratitude towards God. If the lack of gratitude was a fruit, dissatisfaction will be the root of that tree. And this lack of gratitude in time will take our attention and focus from Jesus, from his word, his promises, and eventually our joy will be consumed because gratitude and joy go together. We can have joy without gratitude, and if we claim to have joy, gratitude will be a constant in our lives. The lack of gratitude in time will create a lack of joy, and this lack of gratitude is like a parasite sucking the joy in our lives. It robs us from acknowledging God's presence, provision, care, protection, and eventually we will blind our sight from the very glory of God, from God himself. If we would have to define gratitude, I would define it as a lifestyle. It is a response to any circumstances in life. It is a posture. It is a way to relate to other people, to see other people for what they are in Christ. It is the capacity to find reasons to be grateful in the most unexpected places, with the most unexpected people and situations, and to be met by joy right there, to be completed by Jesus. And also, it has nothing to do with you, with me, with anything that we can do. It has everything to do with God. But what if we reach a point in which our joy is consumed by this lack of gratitude and the difficulties in our lives? What if we don't consider having enough reasons to be grateful to the light and to experience the Lord's joy? What if we're sad, burned, depressed, exhausted after a long season? How do we find joy in those moments? How do we do that if we aren't able to express how we feel about the minor things in life, like being alive, the fact that we're here in this very moment, that we're able to breathe, having food, having a roof over our heads. If we cannot express gratitude for these things, how do we expect to experience joy? So I would like to keep these questions in the background of your minds as we navigate our text this morning. And if you are in a season in which you find difficult to express gratitude or joy, my prayer is that we will be able to see that when we are unable to acknowledge and experience God's goodness, God himself will find us. He will reach out to us to remind us of his covenantal love and how he longs for us. We've been hearing this through the series, that joy is a person, and his name is Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we are here um, longing to hear from you, longing to hear your word and speaking into our hearts, Lord. So I pray that you will, your spirit will create room, space to navigate what we are to hear this morning. I pray for those that are here this morning that might find themselves in a difficult spot in life. And I pray that you will be able to minister through your spirit as word your word is proclaimed this morning. I ask for uh, wisdom and direction, clarity of speech as I shared your word with my brothers and sisters. In your name we pray.
So I'm, I'm going to always like to give a little bit of uh, context um, for the passage. Um, it's, it's not long. It's not. Don't worry. Um, but bear with me. I, I, I guarantee you're going to make it to the Super Bowl today. All right? <laughs> All right. So this is where so we find Elijah in the cave. Let's see what happened before that. And after a three-year drought as a sign of God's judgment due to Israel's apostasy for worshiping a pagan deity named Baal, God calls out of exile Elijah, his prophet, we can read that in chapter 17, to go back and confront King Ahab, but also his wife Jezebel and the pagan prophets of Baal and Asherah. And King Ahab is one of those many kings that we read in the book of Kings who did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the drought that came over to the land of Israel in chapter 17 is due to the nation's apostasy, but it's about to end. Elijah then summons the uh, king and all the people in Israel, including the pagan prophets, so that they can witness the incredible display of power in Mount Carmel. The fire from the Lord fell from heaven, consuming the offering and everything else. So when the people saw this, they fell on their faces and confessed and acknowledged the Lord as the only one, as the true and only God. After getting word of his servant of a small cloud rising from the sea, Elijah warns Ahab that this is the end of the drought. And no long after, the heavens grew black, and after three long years, a massive rain revisits the land, proving again the Lord's sovereignty and his word being fulfilled. But in the prophet's mind, this is what he was waiting for. Finally, this was the end of the king's rule, his wife and the pagan practices and the prophets. But Elijah's expectation was for this to be the end of apostasy and the time for God's people to turn back their hearts to the Lord. He was expecting for restoration. But things were far from being over. Elijah's high hopes and expectations are dissipated when he gets news that Jezebel wants to kill him. Afraid, confused, impacted with disappointment, Elijah leaves his mission post in northern Israel and he goes south, literally to the south. And from there he embarks on a long journey into the wilderness, running for his life. Elijah takes his side away from the Lord, falls into despair, depression, and forgets everything that has happened until that point. Overcome by fear, he's unable to remember God's many gifts, his presence, his provision, and the care for his life. And it seems like not too much is left from the prophet that called out for a three-year drought. The one that restored to life the son of the widow, not even close to the one who summoned fire from heaven to consume the offering. Elijah wants this to be over. He wants the Lord to take his life. But instead... God sends his angel to minister to him and meet his physical needs by providing water, food, and rest because this is what he needed at the moment. And it seems that there is a huge silence from Elijah as he walked into the wilderness for 40 days. He arrives at Mount Horeb, the man of God, and this is what sets the scene for our passage this morning. And what I want us to observe in the passage today are a few things the Lord used to rectify Elijah's expectations back to him and to restore a sense of joy and gratitude in his life. So in verses 9 and 10, we see the Lord approaching Elijah with a soul-searching question. And by the time he makes it into the cave, God has been graciously caring for Elijah, restoring him physically and preparing his soul for the question that he is now asking in verse 9. What are you doing here, Elijah? Unable to perceive God's attempt to get his attention before the, this moment, the Lord decides to get personal with Elijah. 
So what are you doing here, Elijah? What brought you here? This is a similar question God asked Adam and Eve back in Genesis. And like them, Elijah couldn't provide a satisfying answer when he was confronted with his reality, but the Lord knew the answer. This is a soul-searching question. It's a question for the prophet to evaluate where he's at. And with this question, God provides a safe space for him to acknowledge his fears, his doubts, and the state of his soul. This is a question that we all need to wrestle from time to time. What are we doing here? What brought us here this morning? Elijah is probably afraid to speak about the real reasons or still too blind to see them. Did he understand what led him to that place? Was he able to see that his expectations about the nation's future differed from God's? This question aims to rectify Elijah's misconceptions about God. And the nature of the answer that he provides to the Lord in verse 10 tells us that he was not fully aware of the many reminders and signs the Lord has given him to that very moment. He saw himself as a servant, but a servant with an inward focus. Lots of bitterness in his heart. Look how many times he puts himself first and just once reversed. This is why he says in verse 10, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, I even only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. He was thinking about himself with no regard for anyone else and no recollection on all the many different ways God has blessed him since he was called out to the office of his ministry. He was focused on serving a cause, but it was his cause, not the Lord's. And knowing the condition of his heart, the Lord doesn't rebuke him. The Lord just simply listens to him. It's amazing. His view of God profoundly affected how he lived and how he perceived others too. And these symptoms reveal that his approach to God felt more like a transaction than a relationship. Elijah's answer denotes a sense of self-righteousness, not willing to admit that the, the reality is not doing well. He's not in a good place. But perhaps he's afraid to confess and acknowledge also the real reasons for the state of his soul and the limited view he had about God. He has been serving a version of God he had envisioned and created. But the Lord was not there because God is so much more. There is no trace of gratitude and joy because him missing what the Lord was doing all along. Him missing where God was at work in his life. He missed all the signs. He missed the Lord waving on the journey, trying to get his attention. His inward focus blinded him to see the Lord in his life. Elijah was so busy doing things for God that he forgot to acknowledge God. He got to focus on the mission that he forgot the Lord of the mission. He got too busy fulfilling his prophetic word that he failed to slow down, rest, and rejoice in the one who called him. So he ignored the Lord's provision and forgot how to care of his soul. He forgot the importance of the Sabbath. And, not just, as, and just as the drought drained the land for, the, for three years, joy and gratitude were equally drained in Elijah's life due to his unmet expectations. But being a prophet was a very difficult and risky job at the time. But the moment that he stopped resting and acknowledging the Lord, the moment he started to walk away from gratitude and from joy, and this is the moment where he got free tickets to wander in the wilderness and lodge at the cave. 
In response to his commitment to the Lord, he wanted to see a specific results and things progressing in a certain direction. But he missed the point. Everything was about God. It was not about him. He was to follow God, to love God, to experience his joy, and the results and the circumstances were God's. In reading Elijah's answer, I couldn't help but consider if God were to ask me the same question, what response would I have given? And my responses turned out to be more questions than answers. Um, but this is what I would have asked the Lord. Please tell me how I got here. Not this physical space, but this moment in life. Was there something specific you wanted me to learn from you? Did I miss the point? Remind me again, why am I doing this? Remind me why am I called to obey you? Remind me again, please, why am I following you? This is not what I expected. Disappointments and unmet expectations have overcome my life. I feel lost and tired. Can my joy be restored? Please take me back to communion. Take me back to a place of rest. When did I stop listening to the melody of the gospel? Elijah's so-called obedience to God's plan was in some way conditioned to results. I do this, and God is going to do that. God will take care of me if I follow and obey. So living in that tension, Elijah seemed to have a transactional approach to God. And since he's trading his service and God is supposed to meet his expectations, um, there's no need to express gratitude because he's doing his part. So the relational component seems to be missed. It's not in the picture here. So this soul-searching question helps Elijah to consider his relationship with the Lord to that specific moment, and his answer reveals where he's at. He had been serving with an inward focus and wrong expectations. He cannot experience joy and satisfaction because he has been pursuing an agenda. Pursuing his expectations has drawn him away from the joy of serving the Lord. And in the words of Jeremiah, this is another prophet, by the way. This is how the Lord describes the inward focus of his people, which, by the way, is a form of idolatry. This is what he says. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they hew out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So Elijah's answer was a resemble to the condition of the nation. The nation embraced practices and worship of pagan idols, and that is very clear in the text. And Elijah was so inward focused that his zeal and jealousy for the Lord were a form of disguise for self-righteousness because he was worshiping an end. The Lord's simple question revealed the state of his soul and confronted Elijah with himself. The purpose, and this is what I love about God, the purpose is never to destroy it or cause pain but instead is to restore his servant and the joy in his life. Because the Lord is the fountain of living water. He is the fountain of never-ending joy. So let me ask you this this morning. Where do you find yourself? How would you answer if the Lord were to ask you the same question now? Would you find yourself responding in gratitude? Or would you sense dissatisfaction or met expectations Fears, concerns, because the ship of your life is going south to unknown waters. How often do you Sabbath and trust God for your provision? What was your expectation when you started to follow Christ? What changed? 
if you were to lose everything and everyone that you hold dear today, anything that gave you a sense of stability, anything that gave you a sense of comfort, would you see Christ standing there next to you as the only one left in the room? Will that be enough? Because where Christ is, there is everlasting joy. So let me ask you this. What brought you here? What are you doing here this morning? So after this soul-searching question, the second thing the Lord does is to rectify Elijah's expectations. It is essential to notice that three times we see the world behold in that text, and it's always preceding a response and interaction from God. So the writer wants to highlight and get our attention to observe how God is moving in the narrative and how he responds and relates to his servant. So in these verses, the Lord becomes even more intentional, intentional, inviting Elijah to go out as he is about to pass by. So the Lord brings forth a power of display, mighty wind, an earthquake, and fire. But we learn from that text that at the moment, God was not in those demonstrations of power because that was not the point. These demonstrations of power had the single purpose of showing Elijah the partial vision and understanding he had about who God was. But what happens next is what Elijah needs to know about God. Verse 12 says that Elijah hears a low whisper and that God was in it. Covering his face as an act of reverence, he comes out by that cave entrance. But Elijah's ability to hear that whisper speaks of proximity. And not necessarily that Elijah approached God, but God approaches him and whispers with a soft voice. It was the whisper of the Lord that finally got him out of that cave. It was not the wind, it was not the earthquake, it was not the fire that got Elijah's attention. It is the softness and the gentleness and that whisper that get his full attention. He has seen enough of these manifestations of power, but what drew him out of that cave was the closeness of God himself reaching out to him sweetly and tenderly. God longed and cared more for Elijah than anything else. And he wanted him to know that by leaving, by leaving his throne and becoming personal and approach him in that very cave. Joy in the whisper can be seen and heard louder than the wind. It screams louder than the earthquake and is more visible than the fire. Elijah is now tracing his way back to God through the melody of that whisper. Joy is found where God is, and the Lord is restoring Elijah in that moment. God can manifest his power any time to get our attention, but he not only wants our attention, he's after our hearts. True transformation and restoration don't occur by changing behavior. It starts with our hearts. He is a God that is pursuing the heart of his people and, come, and that he can be found in the whisper of the soft voice, restoring and healing those whom he loves and longs for. And this is the place where the prophet's joy and gratitude started to come back with the tenderness of God's voice and rectified expectations. The Lord brings true transformation, restoration, renewal, and healing. But he's not interested in cheap fixes or patches. He's, long, he's willing to take the longer route, longer route with us to go to the most deserted and inhabited trails. He wants to be known, and he is never in a hurry. The Lord desires that our misconceptions and expectations get shaped by him and what he says about him. 
And in committing himself through the entire journey, he's willing to enter the darkest caves in our lives so that we can be found, that we can be rescued, that we can be restored. So he does it so that we can experience everlasting joy, even if it takes an entire lifetime. He's gentle to rebuke. His discipline is perfect. He never grows weary. He never gets tired. He never hides. He never runs away. He doesn't impose his love. He just loves. There is so much that we can learn about God and how he rectifies and restores his people. So how do you love and care for those in distress, pain, and anxiety? Are you willing to take the longer route or are you more prompt to patch and provide a quick fix? Are you, really, are you ready to listen or to rebuke and condemn instead? Are you perceived as someone grateful? Or someone that maybe is hiding in a cave, complaining every time your expectations are not met? This is a big lesson to explore the state of our hearts. But also, how do we respond to other people? Whatever joy and gratitude we claim to have before the Lord is directly expressed in our relationships. In other words, the way that we relate to one another speaks about the joy and the gratitude we claim to have before the Lord. The last thing that he does in the last verses is that he recommissions and sends back his servant to the world. At the end of verse 13, the Lord asks the same question to Elijah. What are you doing here? Elijah provides the same answer. This repetitive question was used in the ancient Semitic narrative to emphasize and compare something. So God might be giving Elijah a chance to show what he had learned from what he experienced in the previous verses. So God asked again, tell me, what are you doing here? Let me hear your reason again. The dialogue ends with God, same question, Elijah, same answer. The big difference that we notice is that God recommissions Elijah and give him explicit instructions and direction. And in verse 18, we see how the Lord delivers correction this time by setting the right expectations and let him know that everything is going according to his plan and that Elijah is not the only one left. To go back to his mission's post, Elijah needs joy and gratitude restored in his life as a forerunner telling the world that the Lord is the joy of the world. I don't know about you, but I enjoy, I love these moments in the scripture where God restores his servants. And he points them back to him, to what he's doing, the way that he's moving in the world. And he does it in such a way that restores their joy when they get to see how he's moving, how he's working in other people. It's amazing. So Elijah's life is a reminder of God's grace, love, and mercy for his people. A God who heals and restores with tenderness. A God who initiates and pursues. But it's also a reminder that joy himself, God himself, was to come to heal and liberate his people. But the way that he does it will not always match our expectations. In the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 7, verses 18 to 23, we find a similar example of another servant whose expectations were not met. Someone who had the same spirit as Elijah. We learn how John the Baptist, the last and one of the greatest prophets, was also expecting, like Elijah, a similar moment for the restoration of the nation. He was expecting Jesus to exterminate and destroy the evil powers of his time, tyranny, to bring freedom, establish the kingdom, 
and of course, judge the oppressors. So he is confused and decides to send word from prison to Jesus with his disciples, asking the Lord if he was the one or they were to expect a different one. But Jesus' answer was clear by quoting the prophet Isaiah. Tell John what you've seen and what you heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hears, dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And then he adds, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And the word blessed in this verse is also translated as joy and happiness. And Pastor Joe was explaining that a few weeks ago, and it's the same word. So what Jesus is telling John is basically, this is how the kingdom has come to, has come to be about. This is how it looks. Can you rejoice in this? Can you find your joy in me? I know that this doesn't meet your expectations, but I am doing what I said I would. I'm restoring the world, and I'm making everything new. Through joy is found in me, in what I'm doing. Can you, you choose to rejoice if it doesn't make sense to you, even if it doesn't meet your expectations? So this morning, can you rejoice and be grateful, even if your current circumstances don't appear to be ideal? Can you believe in faith that all things work for the good of those who God loves? We are not going to find joy away from Jesus. And there is no real sense of gratitude and satisfaction away from him. No matter how hard you work, no matter how hard you tried, if you set your expectations away from him, anything you consider gratitude and joy is just a futile illusion that will dissipate it in time. In closing, I just want to share a few practical lessons of those things that I personally have worked on over the past year to grow in gratitude and joy. Number one, joy and gratitude must be cultivated in the fields of God's presence with the seeds of his expectations. Number two, start by expressing gratitude for the simplest things around you, those things that you take for granted sometimes, that I take for granted, food, a roof over your head, your life. Learn to speak the language of gratitude. Just like learning a language, you need to practice it. Keep a journal. Invest some time reflecting daily or weekly, writing down a few things that you are grateful for. Involve, involve your family, co-workers, friends. Ask others what they're grateful for. You might be surprised and ministered by them at the same time. This is very important. Take your Sabbath. Take time weekly to reflect in God's care and love for you and trust him for another week of provision with your work, your studies, relationships, future. And remember this, if you don't take your Sabbath, your Sabbath is going to take you and it's going to be brutal. Learn to have the right expectations because we don't know when life will surprise us with unexpected changes. And no matter what, remember he is there with you until the end. Let me just have a sip of water. Um, we arrived in, here in Chicago over four years ago. And this is, by the way, the longest we've been at any place in 18 years, my wife and I. It's actually going to be four years and a month, and, and we keep counting. This is just the longest. We got here with many expectations about life and ministry, relationships. 
And it didn't take long to realize that some of those, those expectations were not God's. They were not wrong, but they were not God's. They were my expectations. After living in many countries and learning from different cultures and seeing many challenging situations believers experience in those places, this has been one of the most challenging, challenging places we have lived in. But the perfect place for us to realize our own perceptions about God. Like Elijah, I was expecting to see a specific results. I was not praying for fire or for a drought or for the winter to be over. But I did grow up weary, sad, burned out, and I find myself in that cave. I was confronted with my sin, with my brokenness. Just to come to the liberating conclusion that God was not, was God was not expecting me to be someone else or to pretend to be someone that I'm not, just to be able to serve as a pastor here. It was actually the opposite. And my soul-searching question in that cave came from Galatians 4.15. And here Paul is confronting the church, walking away from the gospel and believing a different gospel. So in verse 15, he asked them, what has become of your blessedness? The same word, blessedness. This is the same word that Jesus used to respond, John. He carries a sense of gratitude. Joy. So the question the Lord asked me is, what happened with your joy? The Lord helped me to see someone rightfully describe it, that I, I heard the words of the gospel, but I was not listening to its music. I was not resting. I wasn't taking my Sabbath. I wasn't trusting God for his care and provision. And I stopped expressing gratitude. I was too busy. I was relying on my own capacity, and I was trying too hard to keep things going my way. Over the years, and I, I think we, we shared in the past a few things here with the church that we've seen God doing amazing things in this place of power in the places that we live. But what I really needed the most, what I was longing for was to hear his voice reminding me that with every breath, I long to follow him. For he has said, And he will bring me home. And day by day, I know he will renew me until I stand with joy before the throne. To this I hope, my hope is only Jesus. All the glory evermore to him. When the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ. So I want to end by challenging you on what steps do you have to take to cultivate gratitude in your life today? What would you do as you go back to your visa life this week? What brought you here this morning? What are you doing here this morning? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for being a God that no matter where we are in life, you're always going to find us and you're always going to reach to us. You're going to be patient and loving and caring for us. Lord. Father, thank you that we don't have to have everything figured out. None of us here. We need you. 
I pray, Lord, that you will restore the joy and the gratitude that comes from you. Lord, I pray that we'll be able to have the right expectations about our lives, whatever we are in life right now, Lord. I just pray that each one of us will be visited, will be ministered, will be able to experience your love and your grace and your mercy in a powerful and mighty way. Let us hear your whispered. We need you, Lord, to be intimate with us. Lord, as we go with our weeks, I pray that we'll be able to reflect and to remember that you are the joy of the world and you're sending us as forerunners to our schools, families, towards our friends, communities, Lord, to reflect the joy and the hope that we have in Jesus. In your name we pray.